Welcome to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast about the creative activities and research of the faculty and alumni of the Hicks and Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Chris Marks, Associate Dean of the College, and it's my privilege to share with you these conversations about the fascinating work that our faculty and alumni do in the fine and performing arts. In this episode, I speak with Andy Park, who is Artistic Director of the Nebraska Repertory Theater and a Research Associate Professor in the Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film. We'll hear Andy talk about how he found his way to UNL after a varied theater career involving puppets, dolphins, and Chinese acrobats. He'll also talk about some current projects of the Rep, including Making Shakespeare Scary Again. First. I asked him to talk about what an artistic director does. Well, an artistic director is really responsible for the vision of the theater. And so for Nebraska Rep, I'm concerned about not only what are we doing this season, but what are we doing down the road? And what kinds of shows are we going to do? What are we going to say um, with our season? I think that, you know, it's not just, uh, I don't know, a collection of random shows. I always like to try to pick a show and curate it, you know, curate a whole season so that the whole thing um, says something that matters. And so I'm looking out for the shows. I'm casting the shows. I'm picking the directors. I have oversight over who the design teams will be. And that's in large part what, a, what an artistic director does for a theater. What's the difference between a director and an artistic director? So a director is um, sort of navigating a, a specific production. And so they're um, staging the show. They're um, helping the actors find the truth of the characters. They're helping to um, sort of build um, the, the total production. It's kind of like it's really hard for the actors, for example. You know, I like to say you can't judge the picture when you're in the frame. And so you need that person on the outside who's sort of helping to, to guide the process that is looking at it and sort of being that audience member the entire process. And so that's what I try to do as a director. So where did you grow up? And what's your earliest memory of theater and encountering theater? I grew up in Lafayette, Indiana. I even went to undergrad in Indiana at Indiana State University. And so I've spent a good part of my early life in Indiana. So I've pretty much always stayed in the Midwest. And my earliest recollection of theater, um, I was an Oompa Loompa in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And this was, you know, every year there were productions that would happen at the at Columbian Park in Lafayette, Indiana, and there would be auditions and you could go audition. And I was an Oompa Loompa and I got my um, first taste of the stage and I've been doing it ever since. How old were you? I would have been in kindergarten. It would have been the summer after my kindergarten year. Cool. Yeah. And I followed it up in the first grade as a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz at the local high school. So I have the, the sort of little people covered, I think. When did you know that theater was your life? That's really what you wanted to do. You know, I think I, it's a strange thing. I, I've always sort of known that this is the course for me. Um, 
especially I think maybe before I knew that it was theater, I knew that puppetry was going to be a big part of my life. You know, in between my um, kindergarten and first grade year was a transformational time, I guess I would say, in between being an Oompa Loompa and a munchkin. Um, but I went to an amusement park and I saw a ventriloquist uh, performing. I'm like, Mom, how does this puppet talk? And she's like, that puppet talks because the puppeteer is, is just talking without moving his mouth. And it must have made sense, or maybe I just got a lot of practice on the way home, but I was able to do it. And so I started performing as a ventriloquist as a, as a very young child and something that I've continued to this day. And so I started probably mostly as a puppeteer, and then um, it sort of morphed and became puppetry, or and became theater. Puppetry sort of morphed into um, mm. theater and became a career, really, for me. And when you talk about puppetry, people listening to this may not understand that you're not just talking about holding a ventriloquist dummy. Talk a little bit more about the kind of spectacle and, and what, what puppetry means in a bigger way for you. Yeah, you know, I think that sometimes when people hear puppetry, they think, I don't know, like the little puppets on Mr. Rogers, you know, mm -hmm. and puppetry can be so much more than that. And the, the puppetry that I do is informed largely from a tradition of puppetry that stems from bread and puppet theater. And, you know, bread and puppet theater was really the first large scale puppet company. So when you think of, um, think of like Julie Tamer's puppets for, uh, uh, Lion King. Mm -hmm. That is really based and inspired um, by the Bread and Puppet Theater. In fact, she worked with Bread and Puppet Theater, something that I've had the privilege of doing as well. And um, much of her aesthetic was informed by her work with them. So yeah, puppetry can involve um, stilts and costuming. It can be puppets that, that take 10 people to operate a single object. Uh, and so that's the kind of puppetry that I like to do, the kind that you see it and you can't even believe the spectacle that's unfolding before you. Before Andy came to UNL, he worked at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago doing multi-species productions. I asked him to talk about how he got there and what his work at the Shedd involved. I think you'd have to start um, a little bit before that because I... Um, there was a period where I actually, I actually got kicked out of grad school and I got a directing, a chance to direct a show that I'd written in Chicago after I'd gotten there. And after my, um, my first year of grad school, I went out to Bread and Puppet. Now, Bread and Puppet in those days, um, there was one phone and all 200 people had to share it. We didn't have, everyone didn't have cell phones. And even if you had one at that time, there would be no service. And so the theater actually lost the space. It was supposed to be the next summer. And, and so, um, there was a rule in grad school. You couldn't work outside of the program because they would lose everyone that they needed for the shows to other shows in Chicago. And there are a lot of them. So I tried to keep it quiet. I didn't quite know how Chicago worked. Um, and then I, I came back and they saw advertisements and they basically said, you either have to quit the show or you're kicked out of grad school. And it was a chance to have a show that I had written, that I was getting to direct. It was in Chicago. And whether it was right or wrong, I chose the show. And um, the show went really well. And the grad school ended up inviting me back and, you know, gave me more money. And I had to do some publicity for the school. But 
the people that I met on that show, they got a phone call. They were looking for uh, a Chinese acrobat show was looking for an artistic director. And, um, and so I threw my hat into the ring and I got it. I'd never been outside of North America and I found myself in China directing for Cirque Shanghai. And so, um, you know, I would audition Chinese acrobats at all the different areas in China. I'd piece together shows and then they would come back and they played at the Pepsi Skyline stage at Navy Pier. And then they'd move to the Tropicana Casino in Atlantic City. And then, and I would go with it for that leg of the journey. And then I would go back to China and start the next show while that show toured the country and Europe and wherever they chose to take it. Um, and so I did that for three years. And so it was a high profile show in Chicago. Shed Aquarium was looking for an artistic director and they liked the idea that I didn't speak the language. And I worked with trainers uh, to make these acrobat shows, and they saw a parallel with not speaking the language of animals <laughs> and working with trainers. And they did a national search, and somehow or other, I managed to talk my way into that job. And it was extraordinary. You know, I worked with dolphins, beluga whales, penguins, sea lions, birds of prey. All of these animals were in this multi-species show that we did. So how do you direct dolphins? <laughs> um, well, you know, I'll tell you, um, I find that um, marine mammals are more reliable than actors. <laughs> um, they really want that fish. So no, they love the positive reinforcement. So did you come here to the Nebraska Rep from your work at Shed, Aud Shed Aquarium? Yeah. So um, while I was in um, Chicago, I was artistic director at um, Shed Aquarium, but I was also artistic director at a theater that I started called Quest Theater Ensemble. And it ran for 17 years until I left here. And that was a free theater. Um, you know, the idea was, is that the second you put a price tag on art, you start to exclude people. And so we decided we were going to be free and, um, and we had a huge audience. It was an extremely diverse audience. Um, and it was a, it was an exciting theater. I, and when I was there, I had the chance to, um, write, direct, and produce about somewhere between 20 and 25 original pieces, mostly musicals. Um, and so it was a really good, um, you know, a place to practice my craft and to to work on my work and then that was sort of on one end of the spectrum because it was completely free we charged nothing for our shows um, but we paid our actors and our designers and everyone and we operated strictly on donation mm -hmm. and then there was shed aquarium where i could have a you know a single production budget could be over a million dollars so um it was kind of a an interesting um dichotomy of ways to work. Um, and then, yeah, I basically decided I was at a crossroads. I started to feel like, you know, in 10 years, there may not be uh, marine mammal shows anymore. And I would and give me another 10 years and I'd be that dolphin show guy. And so I decided it was time to get back to my roots. And I'd always wanted to do um, regional theater. You know, I look at theater companies like the Guthrie and uh, Steppenwolf and Goodman and, you know, Roundabout and these great regional theaters that are spread all over this country. And I've always wanted to um, work on a regional theater. And I looked at Nebraska Rep. It was a theater company that had been around for 50 years. 
It, um, it was an equity house, so I would have the chance to work with, with great actors and directors and to sort of, it was at a crossroads, so it was a huge opportunity to, um, really put an imprint on it and to, and to, um, really help try to take it to the next level. I loved the vision of moving it from a summer theater that basically the students at UNL couldn't interact with to moving it to the academic year where all of a sudden not only the students who are working on the show would have access to these great artists, but the general student population would have access to great theater. And Nebraska Rep is the only professional equity theater in the entire state of Nebraska. And that was very, very appealing. And it still is. I am, I love working, um, here and, and, um, working, uh, with, you know, all my colleagues that, that help make Nebraska Rep happen. And you have now the Nebraska Rep has, uh, is, is into a partnership with the St. Louis Black Rep Theater. So talk a little bit about that partnership and how that came about and what you're accomplishing with it. Yeah, you know, so Ron Himes is the producing artistic director. He's actually the founder of the St. Louis Black Rep. And uh, he actually was here. I brought him in to direct a production of Dutchman by Amiri Baraka. And it's a great play. I mean, it is, but it is controversial. And, you know, I don't, do you remember when on, when we had that, um, white nationalist student on campus and he sort of frightened everyone, um, and he, he, you know, with violence and I think he did a video with a gun or, you know, something strange. Yep. And that was, I chose that show sort of to, um, step into that moment and to, um, consider you know, sort of the underbelly that I thought that that sort of behavior represented. And we had Ron here and, um, he directed the show. And then we had talkbacks after each production where we had a chance to really talk about the show. And when you do that, you talk about larger issues naturally without having to say, now let's sit around and talk about racism. You know, you don't have to do that. You just talk about the show and all those things come up. And we had these great dialogues with the audience. And, you know, this 2020 was a crazy, crazy year. And, you know, with everything that, that happened and the, the, the murder of George Floyd, it really felt like Nebraska rep needed to do something. And I really wanted us to do something that, um, was more than just issuing a statement. I think it's wonderful to, to, to issue a statement of solidarity, but I think it's way better to do something to try to make things, to try to help move everything along. And I thought about Ron and I'm like, I don't know if he would do it, but could we come up with some sort of, of partnership where we work with Ron and the black rep and we, um, come together and try to figure out how can we become a better theater? How can we become better as a school? How can we become better, um, as Nebraskans? And that, and Ron was all about it. He, you know, he jumped on it and, you know, we, we did a, a, when we couldn't do any other performances, we were able to actually, there was one, one time we had the St. Louis Black Rep audience was watching uh, a show about Fannie Lou Hamer in the 
in the parking lot of the black rep because they couldn't be indoors. And our audience was watching it as well. Both audiences, one in Lincoln, one in St. Louis. And we were watching that St. Louis black rep show about Fannie Lou Hamer. It was so cool. And, you know, and it really gave us an opportunity to have some programming in a time where we couldn't really do um, shows ourselves. And, um, and it, it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity. And another time, Ron Himes interviewed Dick Cavett, um, you know, because Dick Cavett had conducted that really famous interview with James Baldwin. And so to have that dialogue, these were really cool things that, that we were able to do during the pandemic. But the thing that we've all been building toward is what's going to happen this fall. And it's a show called Dontrell Who Kissed the Sea. It's an amazing coming of age story where this young man, Dontrell, learns to look at his past, honor his ancestors, but also um, figures out how to navigate, uh, you know, modern life. And he's on the cusp of going to college. And so it's just a perfect show for us. And we have actors and designers coming from the black rep. Um, and I was just in a design meeting today. It's going to be so cool. It uses projection. It, it's just really going to be fantastic. And, um, and it's, it's wonderful that we are able to do such an amazingly, um, poignant and, um, just a, a show that really addresses where we are as a country and where we would like the country to go. It's really cool. And it's going to be a beautiful show. And, um, and Ron is going to be here directing that show. Finally, I asked Andy to tell us something about one more upcoming show that he's especially excited about. I'm really excited about a production that we're doing called Shakespeare. So this is immersive theater. It's a haunted attraction. But basically, the audience will enter the demented mind of Shakespeare. In fact, we're building this huge skull that's going to live outside of temple building, and it wears a ruff. And you have to walk through it like a funhouse, you know, um, object that you'd have to walk through. And then you'll go into the studio theater and you basically encounter a bunch of different, um, of the scary characters from Shakespeare's plays. I'm really overjoyed about how cool this thing is going to be. It's going to scare people in the classiest way possible. You know, <laughs> it really is. And, and then, Next year, we hope that this becomes an annual tradition that we do every year. And also next year, uh, a version is going to be opening in Colorado Boulder as well. So it'll be sort of in two cities at once, which is kind of cool. And, you know, when you think about like Shakespeare, it's sort of become elitist. Uh, people sort of think of Shakespeare as like an elitist art form. They think that it might be above them, that they won't understand what they're hearing and all of these um, things that people have, but that they bring into a show when they go as an audience. But Shakespeare was a populist. I mean, there was a whole section of people that paid about a penny to come in to see the show. They were called the groundlings. And, you know, they they would watch the show they would boo they would you know cheer cheer it on and then you have the other classes as well it was something for everyone and what i what my deep hope is is that shakespeare could do for shakespeare what cirque du soleil did for the circus mm. and basically revive an art form 
You can learn more about the Nebraska Repertory Theater by visiting nebraskarep.org, where you can also purchase tickets to the season and to individual shows. You can learn more about Andy and his work at stagedirector.org. You've been listening to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast production of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This episode was recorded and edited by me, Chris Marks, with technical assistance from Jeff O'Brien at the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. Special thanks to Kathy Anderson and to Ella Durham. For more information about the college, please visit arts.unl.edu. Thank you for listening, and remember to support the arts. Mm-hmm.